With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Arg mighty, did you know that this week, September 19th, it's International Talk Like a Pirate Day? Well, I lived in Beijing for 20 years, so every day it was Talk Like a Pirate Day, but I'm sure our listeners will be relieved to hear that I'm going to restrain myself from delivering the latest Chinese business news, speaking like a treasure-hunting, seafaring bandit. That being said, today's episode is definitely still full of some swashbuckling action. China's 10 biggest tech players have been ordered to do more to protect China's flexible workers. Health authorities are racing to contain a new COVID outbreak in the country's south, and concerns are rising that a property giant could very well end up defaulting on an epic mountain of debt. With all the news that counts, here's your fill of the latest from China's business scene. First, Sino-U.S. relations. Chinese President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden had an official call on Friday. This marks the pair's second call since Biden assumed the U.S. presidency. During the conversation, Xi and Biden expressed their hopes of promoting cooperation, managing competition, and preventing so-called unintended conflict between the world's two most powerful nations in a sign of willingness by both leaders to stabilize the tense bilateral relationship. During the discussion, Xi said that due to the U.S. policy on China, the China-U.S. relationship has run into serious difficulty. The Chinese president said getting the relationship right is not an option, but something we must do and must do well. In other news, on the geopolitical front, some sad news, the German ambassador to China, Jan Hecker, died after less than two weeks in the new position. The German foreign ministry did not provide details on the cause or time of death. 54-year-old Hecker had also been a foreign policy advisor to German Chancellor Angela Merkel. He had arrived in Beijing with his family on August 1st. His last public appearance had been on September 3rd, when the German envoy hosted a cultural event at his residence. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin said during a press conference, quote, We are shocked to learn of the sudden death of Ambassador Jan Hecker, who has been working actively to promote China-Germany relations since assuming his post. China's latest local COVID-19 outbreak was reported in East China's Fujian province. 
At a Friday press conference, the city government of Putian said a cluster of six infections had been likely traced back to a local man who had recently traveled to Singapore. Three elementary school students and three of their parents have been transferred to a hospital designated for COVID-19 patients for isolation and treatment. The government also said that more than 260 close contacts of the six have been quarantined for medical observation. The neighborhoods in which the patients lived have been classified as being at medium risk for COVID-19 infection, and residents have been asked to stay home for the time being. In other news from southern China, the country has unveiled big plans to further integrate Guangdong province with the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region. The financial reform zone in Shenzhen has been allowed an eightfold expansion that will eventually make it twice the size of New York City's Manhattan. According to the plan released by the State Council and the Central Committee of the Communist Party, the Shanghai Cooperation Zone has seen its geographic boundary increased eightfold to just over 120 square kilometers from about 15 square kilometers. The zone will broaden its focus from financial services, technology, and logistics to manufacturing and the marine industry and will continue to test financial reforms in areas such as cross-border yuan use and boost green finance and connectivity with Hong Kong's financial markets. It will also host a big data platform for cross-border trade. Last week also saw Beijing push ahead with its plans to better support workers in the gig economy. On Friday, four Chinese regulators told the country's 10 top internet giants, including Alibaba, Tencent, Meituan, and Didi, to better protect labor rights. The move toughens regulations on new forms of employment in the internet economy. The regulators ordered the online platform operators to take the lead in safeguarding workers' rights and interests. They said that employers should improve income distribution, ensure rest periods, clarify working hours, and optimize the health and safety systems for workers. They should also optimize algorithms while setting reasonable evaluation and review systems. The rights of gig workers has become an urgent issue in China as platforms have tended to outsource insurance and safety protections to third-party vendors, usually lacking oversight. The new forms of employment played an important role in the rapid development of China's sprawling platform economy. And that's not the only reason Alibaba has been making headlines recently. The company is also making the news after prosecutors decided to drop a case against a former Alibaba manager accused of sexually assaulting a female colleague. This marks the latest twist in a case that has sparked nationwide outrage over sexual misconduct in the workplace. The worker, surnamed Wang, was placed under investigation last month after the woman alleged that she had been raped and sexually assaulted by him and a client during a work trip. Wong had been her direct supervisor on a project at the time of the incident. Last week, prosecutors said in a statement they did not approve of the arrest of Wong, saying the, quote, forcible indecency behavior committed by Wong did not constitute a criminal offense, unquote. However, the statement did not offer any explanation as to why this didn't qualify as a crime. In other big legal news, a Shanghai court proclaimed it is illegal to bury negative results on search engines. The ruling could very well have implications for reputation management firms and search engine optimization services. 
according to the claim, suppressing search results violates Chinese consumer laws. The news comes after a public relations firm had sued an IT company for failing to deliver on a contract to suppress negative search results about a brand it represented. But the judge used the case to launch an attack on the practice, citing China's anti-competition crackdown. China's property giant Evergrande has been in the news a lot in recent weeks as it struggles to pay off a mountain of debt. Joining me to talk about this from Beijing is Caixin Global podcast producer and co-producer of this program, Nandini Venkata. Hey, Nandini. Welcome back and uh, nice to have you back so soon. Hey, Kaiser. Great to be back on the show. So let's start with a little background about Evergrande Group, Hongda Jihuan in Chinese. Uh, what do we need to know about this company? Yeah, sure. So... Evergrande is a huge real estate business um, based in Shenzhen, and it's actually one of the biggest property developers in all of China. It was founded about 20 years ago by a guy called Hui Kaiyan, and although business absolutely boomed for Evergrande, the big problem is that the way that Evergrande expanded its business was through relying heavily on borrowing. And now it's becoming increasingly apparent that the company has real struggles paying off this debt. Right. So it's actually gotten to the point where Evergrande is now one of the most indebted companies in the entire world. Wow. So let me just run through some figures. Um, Evergrande has about 90 billion U.S. dollars worth of debt, and it has 300 billion U.S. dollars worth of liabilities. This money it owes to banks, vendors, um, investors, shadow lenders, and also home buyers. And of course, all these um, concerns about Evergrande's dire situation, um, well, they've been rattling the stock market. In fact, this year, Evergrande's Hong Kong listed shares fell spectacularly by an incredible 76%. Holy beep. And what's made things harder for the company is that about a year ago, China introduced something called the three red lines. And this is a policy which aims to limit how much major property developers can borrow. And it's all part of a campaign to rein in leverage and reduce risks to the financial system. And it's due to these concerns about um, financial instability that China has increasingly tightened its control over the real estate sector. And the leadership has also said something along the lines of um, houses are for living in. They're not for speculating. And I understand that this month things are really coming to a head for Evergrande. Yeah, that appears to be the case. So things are looking even more bleak for the company after it was hit by two credit downgrades. So first of all, Moody's lowered its credit rating, and then Fitch took a similar step. And both of them made this decision because they said that a default looked probable. Now, what's also gotten investors quite alarmed is a report by Red, which said that Evergrande was intending to suspend its interest payments on loans from two lenders, and these loans are actually due September 21st. The report also said that Evergrande had contacted a bank to discuss an extension plan. 
So if all of this is indeed true, then it would really mean that the clock is indeed ticking for Evergrande. Now, obviously, all of this has fueled concerns about what could happen if a company the size of Evergrande with such humongous debts were to default. So not only are there concerns about what this means for the Chinese economy, but also how this could then spill over into the rest of the world. So Nandini, what happens next? Is Beijing at all likely to step in and save it, you know, too big to fail or whatever? And if not, what happens if it's not able to save itself? Yeah, I think those are the questions that everyone is wondering about. Now, over the past months, Evergrande has been trying to raise money and pay off these debts um, through asset disposal. So that includes things like trying to sell its Hong Kong headquarters as well as other buildings that it owns. Um, Evergrande has also tried to offload its property management units and stakes in um, electric vehicle and property services. But all of this is far from enough to help Evergrande overcome the huge challenges that it's facing. So while nothing may be set in stone, a lot of analysts seem to be saying that it could very well be crunch time for the property giant. So according to what a lot of these analysts are saying, if China indeed wants to avoid Evergrande's collapse, creating chaos in the financial system, then a government-led restructuring appears to be the only way out. So I guess all in all, you can see that this is really shaping up to be a classic too-big-to-fail conundrum. Okay, thanks, Nanini. And I look forward to having you back on the program before long. Thanks, Kaiser. Look forward to speaking to you soon. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. If you want to listen to our extensive back catalog of podcasts or check out more of Caixin Global's great journalism, download the app or head online to caixinglobal.com. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.